This is episode 243 of the Two Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of Two Birth and Beyond. I'm Jesse Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey, it's Anita here. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to let you know, if you're pregnant and want step-by-step guidance on how to have less pain and pelvic floor symptoms in pregnancy, how to prepare mentally and physically for labor and pushing, including how to minimize tearing, how to have your partner feel confident to support you during birth, and how to navigate a smoother postpartum recovery, my Bump to Birth Method online program is available for you to join. It's three programs in one, covering pregnancy, birth prep, and postpartum recovery, plus you get lifetime access to the program content and bonuses. Bump to Birth Method is my on-demand, self-paced online program where you can learn from the comfort of your own home through video and audio lessons on how to best connect to your pelvic floor and core in pregnancy beyond traditional Kegels, strategies to help common pregnancy pains and pelvic floor symptoms, my top strategies to prepare your mind, body, and pelvic floor for labor, how to best support you and your pelvic floor during pushing, key strategies for your partner to support you during labor, and how to navigate your first six weeks postpartum. Bonuses include expert interviews, core and pelvic floor yoga class, three strength training workouts, hospital and home birth bag lists, meditation tracks for pregnancy, birth, and postpartum recovery. Whether you're preparing for your first or fifth birth, if you're ready to have less pain and pelvic floor symptoms in pregnancy, feel fully prepared mentally and physically for labor and pushing, including how to minimize tearing and how to navigate your first six weeks postpartum recovery, then head to the show notes or go to bumptobirthmethod.com to see what other expecting moms have said about bump to birth and to enroll today. So welcome to another episode of the Two Birth and Beyond podcast. It's Anita here. And today I have a special guest on, Kristen Brown, who many of you may know from Instagram. Her handle is at prenatal.dietitian. And so for those who don't know Kristen, she's a registered dietitian here on the East Coast in Canada. She is a mom of twin toddlers who helps women optimize their nutrition to support their fertility, pregnancy, and postpartum periods over the last nine years. And she teaches evidence-based strategies to ensure that her clients meet their nutritional requirements during this nutritionally demanding period in life, which I am so glad to have you on, Kristen, because I know so many listeners are definitely wanting answers to questions. They don't really get this information in their standard prenatal appointments. Right. Well, thank you for having Uh, me. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't we even start to in terms of because there's different professions who work around nutrition, like what does it look like working with a dietitian in pregnancy? 
Right. So when I start to work with someone, it totally depends on what stage they're at. So I have a lot of keeners who are, you know, looking to get pregnant in the next three to six months. And it's sort of working on doing everything we can to support egg quality and sperm quality and make sure that all of our um, I's are dotted and T's are crossed in terms of nutrition to get ready for that period. Sometimes I have people who come to me who had all the intentions of eating really healthy during pregnancy, but then they have terrible first trimester nausea and it's going through strategies to decrease their nausea so that they can take their vitamins and maybe eat three times a day. And then other people have no symptoms and it's really just working on optimizing their supplementation and making sure that they are getting everything they need from a nutrition standpoint and just supporting them in meal planning and sort of getting ready for that busy fourth trimester. Yeah, I love that. You can support people in so many different ways and so many different periods. And you're right, because someone who has like severe nausea, like can't necessarily, they won't necessarily be eating the same way somebody who doesn't. So I love how you really talk about strategies. And I know on Instagram, it's just like the tip of the iceberg of what you could do with clients. So I think it's great that you talk more about the strategies as well around all of it. Totally. And it looks different for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. So there's no two people that their nutrition is going to look the same because people have different likes and dislikes, right? Or people have different aversions. Sometimes people come to me and they cannot even handle the smell of cooking meat. So then what do you do with that for months on end, right? So yeah, it looks different for everyone. Yeah. Well, why don't we go into, this was a question I had put out on Instagram. What questions do you have for Kristen? And this came up a bunch of times. And I know my clients have this question too, is around prenatal vitamins, Mm. right? Because there are hundreds on the market and some people might get told by their care provider, certain ones, or maybe zero guidance. Also, I find depending what professional you're working with, you're going to get different guidance. So what should someone look for in a prenatal vitamin and when should they start taking it? Totally. I want to comment on one thing that you said, because I find this really funny. I have quite a few physician clients, which I think is absolutely wonderful because a lot of times physicians are all folks will see and they don't have all of the information. So it's really, I love when especially primary care doctors will come to me because I'm like, you can take some of this information. And even if just like a little bit trickles down, like that's amazing. But I find that all of them, is it okay if I mention a couple of brands? Oh yes, please do. I I know people appreciate it. Yeah. Well, most physicians come to me. I think every single one I've ever worked with comes to me taking Materna and I'll always ask them, well, why do you, why did you choose this one? And they're like, well, this is what I tell my patients to take. And I'll be like, okay, why do you tell your patients to take this one? And they'll be like, well, cause the rep told us it was really good. And I'm like, okay, well, we're going to make a few changes. Um, but it's just interesting, right? Because then I think we just live in this world where when our physician tells us something, it's almost taken as truth, no matter what. Right. So it's like, well, this is the one my physician told me to take. And they told me that all of them are the same right? But it just isn't true. So when we look at vitamins and I want to start by saying that when someone comes to me and they have a very, very diet, they eat a lot of different things. They 
aren't particularly picky. They don't have any food aversions. I'm always going to try to get everything we can from food first. And then that will dictate what supplement will be the best for them, which I'm always looking at it with a lens of like, let's try to spend the least amount of money and get the best bang for our buck. So if you can spend money on groceries instead of on extra supplements, I'm always going to recommend that first. So oftentimes folks will come to me on a one a day prenatal, which is never something that I recommend. And that is simply because it is so much more effective when we divide our dose for supplementation. So if you're taking a daily amount of nutrients in one capsule, you are not going to absorb all of those nutrients. If you take it in two or three doses, you are going to increase your likelihood of actually absorbing those nutrients. So I never recommend a one a day. There's not a single one a day that I like. I always recommend it in divided doses. So that's one thing that I get people to look at because I do think that that's really attractive marketing for folks because it's hard to remember to take a supplement multiple times a day. So if you think you can get the same thing in a one a day, people are often going to choose that. But I always recommend taking it in a divided dose. And then I look at what exactly is in the supplement. So there's different forms of different nutrients and some are better absorbed in the body than others. So I always look for the methylated versions of B vitamins, specifically methylfolate and methylcobalamin. Okay. So methylcobalamin is vitamin B12. And those are going to be really well absorbed in the body. We often see the synthetic form of those two nutrients which is something that I try to avoid. Another thing is I like to see a more um, readily available form of magnesium. And I know we're going to probably talk about magnesium because that's a hot topic too. I tend to avoid magnesium oxide, which tends to be in a lot of prenatal vitamins. And I like to see either magnesium citrate or magnesium glycinate in there. So there's a few differences that I look for in the nutrients that a company chooses to put in their prenatal vitamins along with making sure that it's in a divided dose. And there's lots of great ones on the market. I'm not, you know, I'm really flexible with my clients when it comes to which one they're choosing because there are a lot of really good ones. It's just unfortunate that there's also a lot of really not so good ones. So if you're gonna spend money on a prenatal vitamin, I do think it's worth, you know, looking into it and making sure that you are getting a good option because there are a lot out there. Yeah, no. And I think it, I get to be sending this to all my clients, um, this episode, because I think for people to understand why, like, I love how you talked about Kristen with, that's the thing with pharmaceutical companies, right? Is they're really great at the marketing side. So how mm. you said, like, it's very intriguing to be like, I only have to take one a day. I don't have to take three, right? Because it's going to be easier, but then knowing why actually it's more beneficial to do two to three times a day, I think is helpful. And something I found interesting with clients too, and this was, they were working with other um, health professionals and I've seen this multiple times. So when a client brings it up, I'm like, you may want to talk to, you know, whoever you're working with and see if they have another recommendation. Cause I've had clients who switch a prenatal and their nausea goes away because mm -hmm. of the prenatal they're on. Do you know why? Like there may be some reasons where certain ones do contribute to it. And there's many reasons for nausea, but 
it seems to be that sometimes it could be the prenatal that they're taking. Yeah, absolutely. I tend to find that the nutrient that people are most sensitive to is iron. So oftentimes what I'll suggest when people come to me with really bad nausea, I will always look at the prenatal vitamin that they're taking. And typically if we switch to a prenatal vitamin that's iron free and take the iron separately as needed. And typically I can get away with a once every second day iron supplementation schedule, which is actually better absorbed than a daily. Typically that's better because it's giving them a break in between. They're still taking their prenatal vitamin. Cause what I do find is that when people get nauseous, taking their vitamin, that's the first thing to go right? Mm-hmm. You're feeling terrible. You know that it's the vitamin that is a contributing factor. You're ready to cut anything out just to feel better. Mm-hmm. And so these people come to me and they're not really super consistent with it, but when they do take it, they feel even worse. So I do find that separating it out the iron makes a big, big difference. And I actually like a prenatal vitamin with iron separated out anyways. They're harder to find, but oftentimes a prenatal vitamin will contain iron and calcium in the same capsule. And those two are not really great together because calcium will inhibit iron absorption. So if you already have some iron issues and you are really excited because your prenatal vitamin has 27 milligrams of iron in it, if it has calcium in it, chances are you're not going to get all of that iron anyway. So that I tend to find iron is the makes people the most finicky. And when we can separate it out and we can get them on an every second day, a really gentle form, it can go away. Mm-hmm. That's so helpful to know. And even kind of while we're on iron, because yeah. I feel like, yeah, that's another one that comes up, right? I even remember with my second, um, I definitely had low iron. So I was on the, the iron supplement and great working with um, a close naturopath who like everything she suggested, like it just, it fit with my system. So I didn't have issues, but I do know a lot of people that then do have issues with iron, right? So do you have recommendations around that on what to look for? Or do you notice much of a difference between the liquid versus a capsule? Like any suggestions people can look further into if they're, if the iron isn't agreeing with them and on the public health side, I see the constipation side. from it. So yeah, I, this is one thing that I, we can get iron from food sources and it's really abundant if we're strategic about it. Mm -hmm. So typically if I am lucky enough to catch people before they're pregnant, then we will focus on food first and try to get their iron levels up before pregnancy. Because once you're pregnant, it can get a lot more challenging, right? Because you're trying to grow a baby or you're trying to grow multiple babies and it's just a lot on your system. So I tend to find that if we can do every second day iron supplementation with some vitamin C, that works extremely well. I do, there's a few forms of iron that I like a little bit better, but everybody's different in terms of their tolerance. So really focusing on, you know, sometimes it's trying multiple iron supplements to see which one works the best. Usually I'll do it on a little bit of um, sort of a scaled introduction. So we'll do it with a meal first because that tends to be a little bit more tolerated and we'll work up to doing it separate from a meal with some vitamin C. And that tends to be quite effective, but everybody's different in terms of their tolerance. So we usually try a couple different things to see what works, but I do like to separate it out. And I do like the every second day schedule. Yeah, that's awesome. And again, another reason why it's like, it's so helpful 
for people to be aware that seeing a dietitian for that individualized care, right? Of like, if you're having especially issues with, um, with tolerating certain things, it could just be how you're fitting them in or the types, but like you as a professional can really dive into that. Now, I know we talked about a myth already around not all prenatals are created equal. Um, what would be some other myths around, let's say, food in pregnancy that you find a lot of your clients come in with that you start debunking like day one? Yeah, so I would say some of the myths that I am so quick to debunk are all around foods that are so important for pregnancy and that people avoid because they heard somewhere that they should avoid them when they're pregnant. So one of them is eggs. So everybody is always really finicky about eating runny eggs and how that is a risk of foodborne illness, which there definitely is some risk there, but I always like to put it into perspective that if you are avoiding runny eggs, but you're eating bagged salad from Costco every day, there's so much more of a risk eating the bagged salad than there is eating the runny eggs. And what I tend to find is that people really like runny eggs and they tend to not like the yolks cooked as much. So as soon as you take that away, then all of a sudden they're not eating eggs anymore. And eggs are such a good source of choline and we need choline during pregnancy and choline is not in a lot of prenatal vitamins and eggs is one of the best sources. So if you only like runny eggs, you feel like you cannot eat them during pregnancy. So you wipe them out. I would argue that the risk of not getting enough choline is much worse than any risk of foodborne illness, especially given the other foods that we never talk about, right? Like cantaloupe and, and bagged salad. People love bagged salad, right? But there is risk there too, and we never talk about it. So that'll be one of the things for sure. The other one is fish. So a lot of people will come to me and they'll say, I heard fish you know, I've been avoiding eating fish because it's really high in mercury. Some fish, yes, is high in mercury. However, fatty cold water fish is low mercury and also high omega-3, which is so important for baby's brain development and for their eye health and for mom too. So fish, I see off people's plates during pregnancy because they're worried about mercury. And I see people not eating eggs because they're afraid of foodborne illness because they don't particularly like the yolks cooked. So those are two things that I'll see kind of over and over and over again, which is unfortunate. And I feel like we really should debunk these myths because sometimes by the time I see people, sometimes I don't see them until they're like halfway through their pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Right. And, yeah. and then it's challenging because you want to say, okay, we're going to start this right now, but you don't want people to feel like bad about not sourcing out the information sooner. So it's a fine balance to where you want to show how important it is. And, you know, we're going to start this today because it's important to do it now and to, to take into account their feelings and not to mm -hmm. create any sort of guilt around not having come across this information before, which mm -hmm. I think is challenging, right? Because as moms, we want to do the very best for our kids. And sometimes I'm sure, like I can think of situations that I've been in when people have told me things and I'm like, Ooh, I didn't do that. And I feel like a little bit of anxious feelings coming up over that, right. That it can be an emotional thing. So it's, yeah, I think we should 
do a better job at getting that information out to people instead of trying to scare them. Yeah, totally. Just kind of meeting them like, this is where you're at. Now we can move forward with this. Now with those two examples, what about for people who let's say don't eat eggs, don't eat fish, how could they get those nutrients in other ways? Okay. So choline, really the best source is going to be egg yolks. In pregnancy, we need at least 450 milligrams. During lactation, it goes up even higher to 550 milligrams per day. And just to put it into context, an egg yolk has about 126 milligrams. So that would be at least two eggs a day, sometimes three. So that's a lot more than a lot of people eat. There are other sources of choline, but they're just not very rich. So you're really going to if you're not including eggs, you're really going to have a hard time meeting your needs. So for folks that don't like eggs, there are really good supplementation options. There are quite a few now prenatal vitamins that contain your full daily amount of choline, which is wonderful. So then you don't even have to worry about it. It's wrapped up in your prenatal vitamin and you can carry on. So unfortunately for choline, there isn't a ton of options. Omega-3 fats, specifically DHA and EPA, are the ones that I'm I'm thinking about when I'm looking at fatty cold water fish. They're called essential fatty acids, which means that it's essential that we get them from our diet. So our body is amazing in the sense that it can make nutrients out of substrates from other things that we consume. Unfortunately, DHA and EPA don't fall into that category. So if we don't like fatty cold water fish then oftentimes a supplement is what we're going to need to do as well. If you don't like fish, you're allergic to fish, you are vegetarian or vegan, you can get an algae-based omega-3 supplement because that is where those fish get their omega-3 from the algae. So you can take an algae-based supplement and get your DHA and EPA that way. But really that is gonna be one of your only choices. You, If you like eggs, but you don't like fish, you can get omega-3 eggs and that's going to give you a little bit of that DHA, but there's really not too, too much else in terms of options for that, unfortunately. Yeah, no, that is helpful for people to hear like options and even how important it is and that, yes, you can eat the eggs the way you want to, right? I think back in like, oh my gosh, omelets. I mean, I'm still an omelet fan, but like pregnancy and postpartum omelets were my thing. So I'm like, I didn't know a whole lot about choline at that time, but now hearing about it, I was like, okay, I was getting my dose that Kristen would be recommending (laughs) for that. Yeah. One thing I do suggest too, that I just want to mention because I do often suggest this to my clients is that there's a lot of people who in pregnancy are like very averse to eggs and they don't even just the smell of them is not Mm -hmm. something that they want I love making a pancake with you know a couple eggs banana some oats some cinnamon a little bit of maple syrup and frying it up and I don't care if you have to pour maple syrup over the top that's totally okay. But it's a really easy way to get in two eggs without any flavor of eggs at all. So there's lots of like little tricks and things that we'll do too to hide them. We'll make them in like muffins and things like that that have no egg taste at all. So there's a lot of different things that that I'll work with clients on making sure that you're getting the nutrients that you need, even if you don't really particularly like the flavor, we can mask it. That's amazing. I know people will definitely love to hear that, that it's like, you can 
bake it into things. Like there's other ways it doesn't have to be direct um, that you're like eating eggs that way. So um, now another question we had, speaking of DHA, because someone had asked about, you know, do they only need to focus on it in early pregnancy, early development, or is this meant throughout all of pregnancy? I love that someone asked that question because it actually gets arguably more important as you get further on. So towards the end of your pregnancy, your baby is going to take from you approximately 67 milligrams of that omega-3 fat daily. And guess what? If you don't have any, then there's really nothing to take. So it is just as important all throughout. It is also really important during lactation because you, these omega-3 fats, they, we do want them to come through in the milk. And again, if we have none, then we have none to give. Mm -hmm. So breast milk is always going to be, you know, the most wonderful food for your baby. However, there are a few things that we want to make sure that we're getting enough of so that we can have that transmit through into our breast milk. Mm -hmm. Yes. No, that is helpful for people to hear both. And I love that you're talking about pregnancy and postpartum, because I think sometimes people only hear the one part, but then it's like, but (laughs) there is the after two, which does matter. And you've been through it. Like it's tough, right? You're exhausted. You have no time to, Mm -hmm. you know, prepare meals anymore. Everything is like one handed everything goes out the window. And that period is still so, so important. Yeah. So I I'm glad, like, I feel like more people are talking about it. Even, I mean, my kids now I was thinking when I said toddlers, I'm like, they're not really toddlers anymore. Are they, they're (laughs) going to be five. And I feel like five years ago, the conversation was way different. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. I think that, yeah, my oldest is now six and a half and it was different then versus now my son is three and a half. And I love how you said like the one handed thing. I tell my clients all the time. I'm like, think about postpartum. Like you can't sitting and eating with two hands Mm -hmm. is not really an option. So it was like smoothies and like so many different ways that you can fit it in with one hand that you can pack those nutrients in just, I know for me made life so much easier. So yeah. And even I love on Instagram, you're always sharing like smoothie recipes for pregnancy and postpartum or like energy bites, like mm. those little things that you can quickly eat, but you know, they're full of stuff. That's just, it's going to give you the nutrients and the energy. And I think this is also key, whether you are breastfeeding or not, because I do think sometimes there is this disconnect that people feel like, oh, if I'm not breastfeeding, then maybe this doesn't apply to me. And I want people to know like you're recovered, like your yes. body is going through this recovery hormones. Like this really applies to everyone after you've given birth. Would you agree? Kind of a that. Thousand that's, percent. Yeah. You just yeah, went yeah. through one of the biggest experiences of your life. You potentially went through a major surgery as well. You're healing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're breastfeeding or not. I feel like breastfeeding just sort of prolongs it right where we're like really, really focused even up to a year and beyond. But that fourth trimester is equally as important for everyone. Mm-hmm. Now with it, cause we've talked about different nutrients. Are there any nutrients that we haven't talked about that you feel are really important, whether in pregnancy or postpartum? 
One would definitely be vitamin D. And I feel like this vitamin always gets the shaft. I have so many clients that will ask for their vitamin D levels, especially if they're gearing up to get pregnant. And a lot of times are met with a lot of resistance and, you know, oh, we don't check that or, you know, you don't really need to know that. And it's really disempowering for folks. I also tend to find that most Canadians or, you know, Americans that live sort of in the Northern states are low in vitamin D, right? Because we get vitamin D, we synthesize it from the sun. When we get sunshine on our skin for long enough periods of time, which we don't see from mid-September until mid-May, maybe. So oftentimes people are going into pregnancy with low vitamin D levels and vitamin D is so important for bone health. We're building another skeleton or multiple little skeletons at the same time. And we need to make sure that our vitamin D levels are adequate. And I would say oftentimes if there's not additional supplementation, even beyond what's in most prenatal vitamins, people aren't getting enough and their levels are low but they just don't know. Yeah, totally. So what, what do you know, if someone comes to see you to work in pregnancy, how do you kind of go about the vitamin D? Well, typically this is terrible to say, but typically I'll get my clients to go in when they go in for their blood work and say, I'm working with a dietitian and she wants to see my vitamin D levels. That will usually be the ticket to allow them to tick the box so that they can get it checked. I really just feel like these instances are when persistence can be useful because it is important to see where your levels are at. It's also not worth blindly supplementing with mega doses if you don't need to, right? Because vitamin D is a fat soluble vitamin. So it's not something that we will simply pee out the excess. We don't want to be putting crazy high amounts into our body when we do not need it. So some guidance on that, I think is really important because we also don't want to encourage anyone to overdo it because they're afraid of being deficient. Mm-hmm. Are you able to give some guidelines on what would be? Cause I do find typically what I hear is that often suggestions are pretty low when compare when I talk to a dietitian or a naturopath. So I'm just curious. Yeah. I typically recommend during pregnancy levels, like around 3000 to 4,000 international units. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's quite a bit higher than what's suggested, but it does help keep their level stable. That being said, it totally depends. I have had some clients who really only need 2000 and that is great to keep their levels good it really depends on the person and just depends on their lifestyle, right? In the time of year. So there definitely recommendations are a lot lower. And I will say that most prenatal vitamins have somewhere between 600 and 800 international units. And oftentimes I'll see people who are regularly taking a prenatal vitamin with levels low at that amount. Yeah. Now, while we're talking about vitamin D, can you talk about D drops for babies? after because I'm curious of because that's what I was recommended to and I remember just you know with breastfeeding just putting it on my nipple and then that's how baby would get it um how does it work in terms of like if we're taking vitamin d and it's absorbing it like how let's say for someone who is breastfeeding what goes to the baby versus like what do they need versus if someone isn't breastfeeding would they then need to give more 
Right. Yeah. So it's interesting because what, if you're breastfeeding, what you're sent home with is some vitamin D drops, which are great. However, there is some research that suggests that if we supplement with enough vitamin D, we as moms supplement with enough vitamin D and in the research that looks to be about 6,400 international units, then our breast milk will be adequate in vitamin D. However, if this doesn't feel like a comfortable thing for you, the vitamin D drops are super handy. Like you said, just put it on the nipple. I often like if someone's using the vitamin D drops for their baby, because we often don't forget things when they're for our baby, but we forget them when they're for ourselves, you know, give some to baby and then give a few to yourself. So it doesn't really matter. You can use the same exact ones. There's nothing special about them. It's just the dosage per drop. So if you're breastfeeding, you have that option, depending on where your comfort levels are at. If you're formula feeding, there's going to be lots of vitamin D in the formula, and that is all going to be taken care of, but you still need to supplement yourself. For people in, like in pregnancy, even to think ahead, just to postpartum, because I know a lot of listeners are, are like us in terms of want to prepare ahead. So it is something good to keep in mind. And you touched a bit about magnesium earlier. And that was, again, a comment. We got a bunch of questions around like, what are your thoughts on magnesium, you know, suggestions. And I think it's helpful for people who are listening, who maybe are not aware of the benefits of magnesium. Why would someone want to supplement with it or check that they're getting the right amount for different reasons specific in pregnancy. Amazing. So I love magnesium. I think magnesium is like the nutrient that nobody really talks about that could literally change your life. <laughs> so there's a lot of different reasons. And I see this in people like even who are well beyond um, the postpartum period, who show symptoms of low magnesium. Unfortunately, it's not as simple as just getting a blood test to see where our magnesium levels are. It's way more intricate than that to see kind of if we are deficient. However, some of the things that I'll see come up regularly that will be an indication to me that potentially someone might be low in magnesium would be recurrent headaches or migraines, um, restless legs, Charlie horses or muscle spasms, constipation is another one or insomnia. So magnesium can be really helpful for all of these different things. I'll usually recommend a different form based on what issue you're having, but some of the things that come up in pregnancy would be restless legs, love magnesium for restless legs, insomnia, also love magnesium supplementation for insomnia and constipation. Those would be the biggest ones that I would see come up regularly where we would use a magnesium supplement to help with those things. Mm -hmm. And do you have guidance? Cause you mentioned different, uh, different recommendations for different ones. Cause I would see yeah. a lot it, well, I'd see my clients have all of those, but I find often, especially with like the Charlie horses, the lab cramps, like out of nowhere, um, the restless leg, like what would be your kind of suggestion to look into for people who are having that? I really like a magnesium glycinate for those sorts of ailments. Mm -hmm. And for constipation, I love magnesium citrate. It pulls water into the bowel, can really help loosen the stool. It can also help with some of those other things as well. But I tend to find that when we get up to higher doses that we need to help with something like restless legs mm -hmm. or with sleep issues, that it can cause diarrhea. So you have to balance that out. So those would be the two forms that I would recommend probably the most. 
And I would just stick with magnesium citrate when there's a constipation, constipation. issue. For the, for the insomnia and restless leg, cause usually the restless leg I find is end of day, like essentially going mm-hmm. to sleep. Does it matter when someone is taking their magnesium? I tend to recommend to take it towards the end of the day. However, I do have people who will take it in the morning and still have great effect. So yeah. yeah. Okay. No, that is, that is helpful. Cause I know a lot of those, a lot of those symptoms, people are just told like, you can't do anything about it. And it's like, well, actually again, dive deeper into the nutritional side and there actually could be. Right. And there's, and people sometimes are hesitant to take pharmaceuticals during pregnancy, right? Cause we're like, we don't know what's safe and all of those sorts of concerns. So if you're having headaches every day and you could take a magnesium supplement and help alleviate those headaches, then you're sort of, you know, avoiding that sort of situation altogether, which is nice. Totally. Another symptom that comes up is nausea and pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely all ranges of what this might look like. Do you have any suggestions on the nutritional side that may help someone manage nausea? Yes. So I will say the number one thing, and it's so unfortunate because when we're nauseous, we tend to do this and kind of dig ourselves deeper. The number one thing that I find to be effective for people is eating in a way that stabilizes your blood sugar. So what we sometimes don't notice is that our nausea can be triggered by a drop in our blood sugar. So what we do, what do we have? We have saltine crackers, we have dry toast, we have carbohydrates with nothing with them, right? To bring our blood sugar back up. But when we do that and we eat in a way that isn't balanced, so we're eating mostly just carbohydrates, our blood sugar goes up. And then it comes right back down like a roller coaster. And when it comes back down, that's when we are hit with our nausea again. And then we eat a few more crackers and our blood sugar goes up and then it comes back down. So what I typically suggest is if you want to have the saltine crackers and you feel like that helps settle your stomach, totally fine. But if you could smear some peanut butter on those crackers, instead of your blood sugar spike going up so drastically and then coming down so drastically, it is going to be a little bit of a smoother wave. So adding protein, adding fat every time that you eat something can be tremendous for stabilizing your blood sugar. And if that is a big trigger for you, it's really going to help with your nausea. So that's number one. And that's the hardest one for people to get a handle on because they feel nauseous then they eat just the carbohydrates and they get on this blood sugar roller coaster and they're chasing their nausea all day long. Cause it definitely isn't just morning sickness. It is like all day sickness for a lot of people. And it can definitely be all day sickness when a big trigger is dips in your blood sugar. So that would be number one that can be really, really effective. And I always start there. There's a few other things that people tend to find helpful. So cold foods, can really be helpful. So, you know, choosing things that you can consume cold. I really like smoothies because you can jam a lot of nutrition in there and you can sip it throughout the day. If you need it even colder than that, I'll sometimes have clients freeze their smoothies into like little popsicle molds. They can just sit and they can have their really cold smoothie and, and kind of just eat those throughout the day too. Um, foods that are really sour can be really helpful. So if you find that even water makes you nauseous, which I have had clients that will tell me that water will even be a trigger for them. I know dentists won't like to hear this, but I'll get them to squeeze 
huge amounts of lemon into their water so that it is so, so sour. And that can really help. Even just talking about it right now, I can feel my mouth watering. Um, but lemon can be really helpful. Ginger can also be really helpful. So if you want to have a ginger tea, sometimes I'll get them to steep really strong ginger tea and we'll put it in the fridge and then they can sip on that throughout the day. So there's a lot of different things, sometimes vitamin B6 supplementation, which is part of the active ingredients in the medication diclectin. We'll separate that out and we'll do some vitamin B6 supplementation at regular intervals throughout the day. That can be really effective for some people too. So there's a lot of different things. What someone responds to totally differs from person to person. I've had people with debilitating first trimester nausea who once we got them on a schedule with their eating and we stabilize their blood sugar, it almost totally went away. And then you have people who we can do everything under the sun for them and they need some pharmaceutical relief. And that is totally okay too. I'm always of the mindset of we got to do whatever we can so that we can nourish you. And that, you know, there could be a lot of different options. Yeah, no, I think that really helps people know different options to try. And then knowing that everyone is going to react different. Like we are all totally different in pregnancy, birth, postpartum, like there is no one size fits all. Um, and you mentioned about protein and how that can be helpful. So another question that was asked was around protein powders, because mm -hmm. I think protein in general is talked about a lot more. And especially for women, this idea that we typically need more protein than maybe we're getting depending on the individual. What do you suggest around protein powders, pregnancy and postpartum? Yeah, I love a really good protein powder. I think that they're cost effective, especially when you compare them to something like Greek yogurt, which would be a similar thing that you would put into a smoothie. Uh, they taste really good. They're easy to get your hands on. However, there are a lot of protein powders. And if anyone's walked into a GNC or supplement store, they know that there's loads of options and maybe not all of them look super safe for pregnancy. So there's a few things that I get people to look at. I want to make sure always that the protein powder is third-party tested, okay? Because it is a little bit like the wild, wild west out there. You know, there can be things in a protein powder that aren't necessarily disclosed on the label. And during pregnancy, we just don't want to deal with that. So we want to make sure that things are third-party tested so that we know what it says on the label is actually what's in the product. So that's really important to me for sure. I don't like to see any added herbs, any added vitamins and minerals. I really just want it to be a plain protein powder. You're taking a prenatal vitamin already. There's a lot of herbs that haven't been studied enough during pregnancy to determine whether or not they're safe. So to just X those out, I feel like is a very good idea when I'm giving sort of broad nutrition information. And it's just sort of a safe bet. So there's a lot of protein powders on the market that are really just, you can get a whey-based protein powder. You can get a hemp-based protein powder that are, you know, really clean. And I don't mean like, you know, you know what I mean? It yeah. just doesn't have a lot of other ingredients in it. It's yes. just plain. You get what you get. You can have a little bit of protein added to your smoothie can be really easy yeah. to bump up your protein yeah. intake for the day without you, getting too fancy. Exactly. And do you find with that too? Cause I know some people be like, what about the flavored ones, Kristen? Like, is that okay? Cause some yeah. of them are like, you know, vanilla or chocolate. So that would yeah. be okay as additive as opposed to what you're talking about, like all the other. 
Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very common to find um, a vanilla or chocolate protein powder. Yeah. Totally fine. Yeah. Because third party testing would be something that I would really hit home. Yeah. Yeah. Because I do find across the board, I remember looking at mine too, and it was like, all of them say like, do not have if you're breastfeeding, like all of them. So is there kind of with what you shared is really helpful. Like, is there anything specific postpartum look into? I know a lot of that's around liability. So they it, just want a yes. blanket statement of not, or some will say not in pregnancy and, and, or breastfeeding. Um, but yeah, is there much specific to look at other than what you already mentioned? Yeah, I would say a lot of it has to do with liability because if you look at almost any supplement, aside from the ones that are specifically targeted at pregnant folks, is that most of them say, do not take or consult a healthcare provider to take if you're going to take it in pregnancy or postpartum. And usually that is a liability issue. And unfortunately, we see it on a lot of different things that are really safe during pregnancy. But just to kind of cover their butts, they'll put that on the label. Yeah. And then to wrap things up, this was, I thought, a really good question around postpartum because you've mentioned around nutrients and that. Uh, What are some of your favorite tips or recipes to think ahead for those who are pregnant or it may be your early postpartum. So you're like, I want to do something now. Like, what would you be suggesting? I will tell you what I suggest to all of my clients. And hopefully I'm catching you. If you're listening to this, I hope I'm catching you at the right time. I really, really recommend setting up a meal train. And I'm going to go a step further. I typically will send my clients recipes that I want them to send to their loved ones to make those specific recipes. Because what I tend to see is that, you know, there's meal trains that are set up, which it's wonderful. If you have a meal train, that is amazing. It's amazing to have support. I think that that is top notch. If we could take it a step further, then I would say, if you know you're going to have a meal train, let's get our hands in there and let's make sure that you are getting really nutrient-dense foods. Because oftentimes what I see people getting is like another lasagna, another batch of spaghetti, right? A lot of those meals that maybe aren't as nutrient-dense as we could make them, but people just don't really know. Right. And, but if you can give them instructions and people always want to help, they'll be like, is there anything I can do for you? You can be like, yes, Susan, make me these muffins, you know? And if you have the recipes and you have the know-how and you have, you know, kind of put together your own little packet of nutrient dense foods that you have done your own research on and, you know, have some of the nutrients that we always talk about and share on Instagram. That's amazing because people don't have the same knowledge that you do, right? Especially when you are pregnant and you've been researching this stuff over and over again, maybe your great aunt isn't going to know that you want to have a salmon dish when you are postpartum, right? That probably isn't high on her. Like, I think I'll make some salmon. So to have kind of get a hand on a meal train for you, I think would be amazing. And to set that up, we're so focused on everything pregnancy and baby related that we don't think about what's going to happen to mom in the fourth trimester. Yeah. I love she's struggling. Right. And that's that's going to help all areas of recovery. Like yes, the physical, but also mental and emotional recovery when you have that. And I think 
I love the idea of a train, like a, a food train. Cause I do think part of it is like, it's, you know, great giving, whether it's gift certificates, I do that a lot, like skip the dishes, stuff like yeah. that. So they can choose and then order in when they want. But the idea of a food train is great because if you're getting like a fresh dinner that day, right, it's not necessarily from the freezer or that you're waiting for delivery. It's that it actually is fresh is, is always a bonus. And honestly, like for anyone, if you're not following Kristen, go follow her on Instagram, like set prenatal.dietitian, because I think it's important for people to see the recipes you're suggesting they're not with ingredients that people don't typically have. Cause I think sometimes people think, oh, is it going to have, you know, our suggestions going to be around ingredients. Most people don't, you'd have to go to a health food store. And I'm like, if you look at your recipes, they're not, they're with things that most people will have. Um, so I think then giving that, I think, I love that idea, giving the recipe. And I think whoever you're giving it to will appreciate that too. Cause then they don't have to guess of what to make. Totally. Like, oh, she wants these muffins super easy, make sure I got everything and then good to go. Yes. And you don't even have to like, <laughs> this sounds so antisocial, but like you want to be protective of that space when you're in the fourth trimester, mm -hmm. you can set a cooler on your yeah. patio and you can have loved ones come and drop the meal in there and they can tell you what time they're coming by and they don't have to come in. Right. And I think it's good to set those boundaries and mm -hmm. the more clear you can make things on how people can help you, then I think gone are the days where we're like doing it all with a baby on our hip. Right. Mm -hmm. If someone wants to help, I'm going to let them help yeah. because it's hard. <laughs> yes. Oh, totally. And I mean, you had twins. So like, even, is there anything that you'd like to share from like your own experience? Cause you were doing double <laughs> in terms of, yeah. I think back to my experience, but like having two different experience, pregnancy, postpartum, having supported so many clients who are expecting twins too. It feels like there's like more, right? Because it's like, you want, you want to research all the standard things, but then when you're like, okay, there's two babies, it just brings a different element into it. So anything that you would be open to sharing about your experience that could help others who are pregnant with twins? Oh my gosh. I feel like my experience, there was so much that happened there and it really sparked me going into this area because I had twins, but I also had an extra high risk pregnancy. So I went into labor at 25 weeks. I ended up on strict bed rest and was in and out of the hospital for months at a time. And then I did deliver them at 37 weeks and we ended up being in the NICU for a while, but there was a lot of healing that had to go on after that because laying down for months and months at a time, you can imagine the muscle atrophy that would happen. And then all of a sudden you, I had a C-section and you take these babies home. You haven't walked in almost four months right? Except for like to the bathroom, which you tried not to do all that often because you didn't want to get up and you were scared. There was a lot of healing that had to happen. And there are a lot of people that have a similar story to me where, you know, they're on bed rest and they do have some complications. They end up with a C-section and all of that. There is a lot of healing that has to happen. I will say having twins sort of pushed me who is like, a type A, do it all myself with a smile on my face, like don't show that you're struggling, that I couldn't do it by myself, that any help that I could get was welcome because it was so challenging. Mm -hmm. So I think 
giving, it was almost like the best thing that happened to me. I'll never forget. I called my sister when I found out I was having twins and she was like, you would have twins because it was like, you're going to have one baby. I'm going to have two, right? Like you just have to always be that person that just like tries to do it just so. And, but I feel like it was the best thing that ever happened to me, even just as a person, because you let go of that perfection because there is just no way there's no way and you allow people in to help and you realize what a gift it is Mm -hmm. so it was definitely you know from a nutrition standpoint there's definitely higher needs and and all of that but I think from an emotional standpoint that is the most important thing because it is darn hard to bring home more than one baby at a time I'm sure it is hard to bring home one baby at a time and it just goes up and up from there so Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Cause I do know, I just, we always want everyone who's going through those different experiences to feel included with what they're going through. Cause I know it can feel different if you are carrying multiples, um, with that. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I'm sure that that definitely kind of changed. I'm sure what then treating after that in terms of going back, um, to your practice and, and how all that was. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I definitely had a new, and I, I never want to say that like, you don't understand what it's like to be a mom until you are a mom, but I really feel like you can't understand what it's like to be a mom until you are a mom, because it's, there's nothing anyone can tell you that will adequately show what it's really like. Mm-hmm. I think most people get into the postpartum period and they're like, whew, I didn't expect this. Yes. Yes. And I think a lot, I know Jess and I talk about like even the physical side, I'm like all these things we were taught of like lifting with neutral spine and all these things. And I'm like, motherhood is full of awkward lifting and carrying. So like, I feel from like the physio side, it's like, then you get into postpartum. I was like, okay, I shifted how I taught a lot of that stuff after. And the same from the nutritional side too, kind of seeing all the different elements having gone through it. Um, now I know after today's episode, so many people are going to want to connect with you. So how can people work with you? Like said off the top, I'm like, you're on the East coast of Canada. I know recently you were like, Oh, I didn't know you were in Canada as well. And I'm over here in Ontario. Um, but yeah, how could people work with you, whether it's one-on-one or you have an online program as well? Yeah. So I do work one-on-one with clients every single day. So we are, I'm fully virtual and I'm set up to connect with people online via zoom, which is wonderful during this time. I feel like most people sort of transition to this sort of a style, which is wonderful because you can reach way more people that way and kind of get your message out. So I work one-on-one with clients. I also have a prenatal masterclass, which is an online course you can sign up for. It is a fraction of the price of working even just one session with me one-on-one. And it goes through all of these topics. It has six weeks worth of meal plans. It has that meal train. I have a specific meal train ebook that I send out to my clients that is also in this course, which is nice because it's all already done for you. We talk about topics like nausea, and food aversions and, you know, all the different nutrients that you need during pregnancy. It's all sort of kind of put it laid out in little bite-sized pieces. And it's essentially everything that I go through with my one-on-one clients, but you can do it all on your own time. So it was really important for me to make this class because 
working one-on-one with a dietitian is not accessible to a lot of people. Yes, a lot of people have insurance coverage now, which is wonderful, but there's a lot of people who don't. And if I could package my knowledge up and give it to everyone, I would love to do that. And I feel like this is just a way to like make it a little bit more accessible. Yeah, no, I saw when you came out with that, I was like, yes. And I was like sharing about it. So we'll definitely put all those links in the show notes for anyone who wants to further connect with Kristen. Like I said, follow her on Instagram, because as soon as you go to her page, you're already going to see a lot of the stuff we talked about and be able to save so many posts and recipes. Thank you so much, Kristen, for being on and sharing your expertise. Yay. Well, thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 